Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action Wisconsin. And welcome to a beautiful, snowy Wisconsin. We have finally hit winter and I uh, hope you're able to get out and enjoy it. Got a three-day weekend, MLK weekend coming up on Monday. Hope folks are able to um, reflect and uh, especially if you have young folks, uh, try to get them out. Get them out to a, an event. Uh, and make sure that they are exposed to uh, the reason we have the holiday. Uh, Robert Craig is with us, our executive director here for a good conversation this week. Robert, good to have you. Uh, good to be here, as always. Yeah, so <laughs> a lot going on. Um, we, you know, you come out of the holidays and things get extraordinarily busy really quick in an election year. Um, we're not going to get into the weeds of this, but folks, we, we, we are already in spring election season. Nomination papers were due, uh, what, January 3rd. All that stuff is shaking out. Some people are being kicked off ballots, but major spring elections are about to happen. We will be talking a lot more about that down the road. And we are already starting to get super involved in our co-ops and all the areas where we are with uh, endorsement processes. And uh, if you're a member of our co-op, uh, please reach out to your organizer if you want to get involved in our process. Uh, be very active. And we are looking forward to the opportunity to build power uh, in all of our communities. But Robert, I want to talk to you today and start the show um, a little self-reflective on uh, Citizen Action. Uh, because we are about to have and are promoting now a, a our 40th anniversary for Citizen Action. Um, and a huge event in Milwaukee. We're hoping to uh, at Enlightened Brewery on March 11th, Monday, March 11th, 6 p.m. Robert, tell our listeners a little bit more about why the event, first of all, 40 years, big deal. But what's going to be special about this event in terms of... Um, your efforts to take a look at the history of citizen action. Thanks, Matt. And mo most people uh, mark their 40th as do most organizations. And so, uh, but we're doing something a little different because we, we talk about the present, we talk about what we're trying to build, what needs to happen, importance of organizing all the time. What the, the goal here is not only to bring people together, so, you know, people seeing each other is critical to building community and organizing as a community forming power. Um, so it, it's supposed to be a fun event, but we don't even know a lot of the more remote history of, of, of uh, Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Uh, this organization was actually founded in the 80s and was a, was a, and still is in different ways, a path-breaking organization uh, the first statewide multi-issue group with a large membership that also intervened in elections and combining organizing and elections was controversial then, as was um, seeking statewide influence and being multi-issue. It was really a, a fantastic coalition of a lot of the movements of the 60s and 70s, the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, the feminist movement, and so consumer movement. Uh, and there's elements of the history, a lot of perseverance. It was a difficult time. It was founded and the National Citizen Action Network was founded to respond to Reaganism 
as all the gains of the 20th century being taken, but being to be taken back, right, which we've seen continue to escalate. And uh, the amazing fights, amazing near-death experiences, uh, things such as the 1986 election where Citizen Action did an unparalleled large-scale canvas program that was revolutionary at the time that almost defeated a very right-wing U.S. Senator, Bob Kasten, and put a labor leader, uh, Ed Garvey, into the U.S. Senate. It was dirty tricks at the end that Kasten pulled it out. And then the United Citizen Action was persecuted and, and sued and had complaints filed against it for daring to engage people in this way. So that's just one tidbit. But the point, Matt, is for us to understand the past in order to kind of fortify ourselves for what we need to do now in this uh, existential moment where will we have a democracy and will democracy start working again and addressing our real challenges and our real problems. And folks, what has always been central to citizen action is the idea that we matter and our agency in that democracy matters and getting people involved directly in that is the antidote to the sh current shortcomings of our democracy. And, and that has not changed. If anything, we, we lean in even more to that today with our regional co-op model and efforts to really build regional power and think about how do we develop, find, develop, train, inspire the next leaders in our communities. And also, what does it take? What kind of supports what kind of networks does it take to even make that happen over time and do that together? Uh, across the state. Uh, with, and so that experiment continues. So we really want to encourage y'all uh, to put the 40th anniversary celebration on your calendar. Again, Monday, March 11th in Milwaukee, 6 p.m. And if you live in other parts of the state, and I will let you know now, Robert is going to go on tour um, after the March 11th event and come to each one of our regional co-ops. So Robert will, will be in La Crosse and we're going to get him out to Eau Claire and Wausau and, and probably Green Bay also, uh, where we'll have events scheduled for members to come and hear a bit about this history and what we're going to present on the 11th. So if you cannot make it to Milwaukee, uh, don't worry. We'll be announcing over the next couple of weeks dates uh, in other parts of the state where we're going to bring this 40th anniversary celebration to you. Robert, before we dive into the the meat of the show. I wanted to set the stage uh, uh, by discussing a new report that just came out. Because to me, this report is really central to sort of the essential problem that we face here in Wisconsin. And the report talks about how lower income Wisconsinites pay more of their earnings on taxes than the wealthiest. And Wisconsin's supposed to be a state, right, has this tradition of progressive taxation, seems to be whittled away. This report's really important because you can't have a functioning democracy where the priorities, the people are met, whether that's public education, health care, child care, a whole bunch of things, right, public safety. If you don't have the wealthiest among us, paying their fair share. Robert, tell us more about the details of this, just the real quick on the facts. We'll take a break, and I do want to then come back and talk about 
what this the huge implications of this report for us as progressives, this state, Governor Evers is talking now about a third term. What does that mean? Right. Robert, quick, give us the details on the report. What's it really find? And then let's uh, take a break and we'll dive into the really important implications. And, you know, there was a consensus uh, early mid 20th century that, that starting with Republicans like Theodore Roosevelt, that you needed very progressive taxation because when you had income inequality, you needed a tax system that had the those who had done the best in our society because our society is here supporting them and giving them everything they need to do so, owe the most back. And there's been regression. Republicans just want to move away from it. Democrats really not, except in D.C., not in Wisconsin. Biden has moved in this direction. Evers is not. Not offering an alternative and not making this clear. What really impacts people's well-being is your taxes together, not income tax alone. Income tax is the most progressive. It's based on how much you make. Wealth tax is also progressive if we were to try to do that. Uh, Sales tax is the most regressive because people use more basic commodities, spend more of their income just to get by if they are lower income and property tax is in the middle, but much more regressive. And so we keep we got to stop. We got to put things on income tax and make it a progressive income tax. That income tax is also becoming less and less progressive. And so this report shows what you would expect. The poorest people in our society, when you look at property taxes, sales taxes, and income taxes, pay the highest proportion of their income. They're not shirkers. You hear they are. You hear they uh, from, from the right. It's the other way around. We know who the shirkers are, and they think they deserve more. And quite frankly, the, the state Democratic agenda on this has been just to have a little less bad regressive tax cuts that don't give as much to the very wealthy. That is not adequate. We need to move to a progressive income tax system. This uh, budget deal, we'll get to it, Matt, but raising sales taxes in the largest uh, city with huge pockets of poverty that are racially coded, Milwaukee, and saying you can solve your problem by raising sales taxes and no one else has to raise sales taxes, it's outrageous. And our side isn't even saying it enough. Well, part look, in fairness to our side, we got we, most folks, definitely people at the city were boxed in by the time the deal was cut. Right. And and desperately need revenue. So frustrating, terrible spot to be put in. But our leaders at the states, obviously, it starts with the governor. He's the one who had the power. And we talked about this, had all the leverage in this. The state budget It's the only thing where they have to cut a deal. It's it's the only leverage we actually have currently with this uh, gerrymandered legislature. So anyways, we'll talk more about that. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Again, want to remind our folks, we are going to have a 40th anniversary celebration Monday, March 11th, 6 p.m. in Milwaukee. Got the deets in... Uh, in the in the on the web information please check it out hope to see you there we're talking about a new report that came out uh the the data in it is not quite frankly new but it's important because it's state data and it's very clear the wealthiest among us are not paying their fair share and robert laid all that out <clears throat> i want to talk about the implications um governor evers has announced uh that he's you know the, the discussion is out there as to a third term he hasn't said he's running for a third term but is out there talking about both 
looking back as to a quote accomplishments, but then also looking forward as to an agenda. And Robert, I wanted to use the report to talk about because you said it before. We really do think it's critical that the governor and Democrats, and I think it should be in a unified way, come out with the progressive taxation proposal, a wealth tax, something, right? Like President Biden had a wealth tax, very, very popular, billionaires tax. We need to at least, yeah, we need to establish that the wealthy should pay more and put that forward and show folks what we could do to fund public education, to fund childcare, to fund other healthcare, to fund really critical priorities with these resources. The public would be wildly for it. It also creates a fundamentally different dynamic in the budget debate as opposed to who's got the, the bigger tax cut, which only sets us further back, especially when the surpluses go away. They, they were gifted a surplus, right? Largely because of revenue coming in because of the stimulus at the federal level, all that aside, right? So this is really important because, Robert, this today, big announcement in the Journal Sentinel, we've been talking about this, that state budget deal did not fund properly public education. Um, Some districts did okay, but a lot in a lot of districts, big districts where a lot of our kids, most of our kids of color are being educated are doing terrible MPS announced, they're going to have to go to a referendum <laughs> to keep things... To raise going. property taxes to make up for the income tax that should have come to fund schools from this from state government. Yeah. Absolutely. And we've talked about Wauwatosa, not a very different district than Milwaukee, but experiencing the similar implications. Kenosha? Oh, talk to the folks at Kenosha. Ask them how they think this state budget's helping them. Lacrosse is going through. A lot of districts are. And this doesn't even begin to talk about the fact that it also had a historic increase for voucher schools. Here in Milwaukee, we've had a number of very public announcements of massive expansions of voucher schools here. And folks, this is after the caps are coming off shortly. So <laughs> revenue. I wanted to discuss this, Robert, because we have that backdrop of what's going on right now with public school budgets and everything. Um, Milwaukee's dealing with now the shakedown now that the the tax increase has come. And, you know, our Democratic leaders, progressive city leaders are going to have to defend that. Right. Because it was the only way they could get revenue. That was all that was presented to them. So, Robert, want to get your thoughts on this and. Again, just this importance of really thinking and starting to think as a movement about progressive taxation and how are we going to fund these priorities? And let me, before jumping into that, just some of our audience, rightly so, thinks that we are often uh, asking elected leaders to take risks, to do the harder thing, to do things that are not obviously popular. On tax fairness, Wildly popular. This is a sign of the dysfunction of democracy. Uh, this is popular across the board. There aren't demands for these kind of tax cuts uh, that are coming from the Republican side or the compromises coming from, from Governor Evers. This is the power of the people who fund campaigns and the, and the lobby core, all the people with the institutions that can lobby heavily over public opinion. This is President Biden, the national, because no, this is politically popular to be populist on this. 
Uh, so that that's another thing to say. But look, we want to be very balanced about Governor Evers. He has done some good things. He is the, the goalie, right? Um, he is certainly compared to the other side. It's night and day. He is in coalition with him necessarily because he's part of the pro-democracy, anti-fascist uh, coalition that we're all part of. That's really what the Democratic Party is, despite all of our differences. But we're talking about a third term, and especially we may have fair maps, which means we might have a different legislature. I think Governor Evers needs to be talk about vision, what he would like to do in some compelling way, why he would care to be governor. And furthermore, I would appreciate a little more um, being forthright about the limitations of the shared revenue deal, the education deal, everything else in this budget, because this is a Republican budget, folks. And so why are we, for, for the political advantage of one leader, trying to say that it was some sort of good deal and as much to celebrate. And the governor threw in the half billion dollar subsidy to the billionaire owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. I just, that's not a vision to reelect a modern Democrat. So he has time. We're early. I'm encouraging the people who have access to his people who listen to this. I know no, no notion the governor has time to listen to us, nor inclination necessarily, but Really, we need to have some compelling vision here as to what Governor Evers would do with a better balanced legislature and what he would do to move the state forward, not just prevent even worse damage, which is what I could say for this budget. Yeah, look, and, and we bring this up mostly because we know our listeners across the state. Many of you will run in and talk to Governor Evers in the next few months. And we think it's important that you have this conversation with him, right? Like in a po polite way, right? Like I'm sure it won't be the first time the governor's heard it, but if he doesn't hear it from us and from progressives and people who are, you know, been fighting hard for things like childcare expansion, healthcare expansion, right? Um, it just makes, it makes it virtually impossible to actually do these things if we don't have the revenue going forward. So folks, thank you. Um, and please, that, again, that's a part of participa participatory democracy. If you get a chance to talk to the governor, and many of you will in the next six months, it's important that he hear what the priorities and your hope for a vision. Um, he needs to hear that from us. Robert, I want to talk a little bit about what has been going on actually in the legislature this past week, because it is a comedy of governance that just lays bare why we absolutely need new maps. And uh, we've got a deadline fast approaching uh, the Supreme court for those uh, maps, um, Robert, but the dysfunction of the gerrymander was on full display with two bills. I want to talk about one, this absolutely absurd bill that essentially treats the unhoused in our community as criminals um, it it's tinseled up with all kinds of stuff to make it seem like they're trying to help folks. But the reality is they're making being unhoused a crime. It's it's crazy. And also on the same week. They came up with ha what has to be the worst medical marijuana bill in the nation. I mean, Voss called it the most restrictive as if somehow this was some 
great advance. And they like seemed all bizarrely defensive about like lecturing Governor Evers about his position somehow affecting the success of the bill. What when did Governor Evers have any, 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 any control over the votes of the mega legislature? Absurd. Look, Robert, this crazy shit show of a weed bill tells me that they are deathly afraid of what's happening with the redistricting. That's the only reason this bill exists. Folks, look who is out front on this bill. It was almost everybody in vulnerable districts. Very worried about it. Yeah, Rodriguez, you should be worried. Yes, if you are in a suburban Green Bay district. Yes, if you're in suburban Milwaukee and you're, you better be worried. And they know this bill has absolute, this dog shit bill has zero chance because there's so many of their other colleagues who are so out of touch on this, much less whether the Senate even touches. So out of touch on this, this thing has zero chance of passing. Folks, if you care at all about this issue, if you're a single issue, how the hell could you vote for this, this crazy party, Robert? Well, you're right to say that the medical marijuana thing demonstrates how undemocratic and authoritarian the legislature is. And I'll define authoritarianism. If only one party can win and there isn't really there aren't real elections and they get super majorities and can do what they want and then can impose incredibly out of step policies, that is not democracy. So my, Matt, it's 70, it's high 70 percentile that want full legalization of marijuana. And we can't do this, this group of people who are supposed to represent the public in some reflective way. That's their legitimacy. They're supposed to have authority because they reflect us in some way, can't even do a medical marijuana bill and and can't get over the question of who decides. Really, the, the it may not even uh, get it may get vetoed by the governor. It's going to tie it up so that medical professionals can't decide if it's authorized. Robin Voss is going to, right? It's very much like their position on abortion. It's not getting through the legislature. They don't have the votes. This was a state show. That's how crazy they are. Well, that's the whole Evers thing, or him lecturing Evers that somehow, Tony, keep your mouth out, or this thing will die. It's like, Tony doesn't have to say anything. In fact, Tony immediately was like, I'm open to this, you know, and I'm not, I'm just, you know, this thing's going to die on their own side. Recreational marijuana is legal in Illinois, which is not historically way ahead of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan. It is very much like I think Boss wants to be, though this gives him too much credit, the fa- the John Lithgow character in Footloose. Maybe we can try to ban dancing now. Maybe a constitutional amendment so we can get around the governor. Well, okay. Here's the other piece that helps explain some of this crazy crapola. Robert, the the right wing nut balls, the mega types, are trying to impeach Robin Voss, right? Uh, recall him, excuse me, recall the guy, right? Like, I mean, come on, this this is an ungovernable. They've created an ungovernable situation for themselves. Um, other than the fact that between the gerrymander and the state of where the Democrats are at right now. <laughs> The next national government shutdown, remember they're now periodic, um, is a little over a week, I believe. And there's a deal now between the top of the Republican leadership and 
and the Republicans in the Senate that could pass, because Republicans in the Senate have actually been working with their Democratic colleagues. Uh, and apparently, they may not be able to pass it because the Freedom Caucus wing is going to go and try to remove this new extremely right-wing speaker for doing this, for doing anything that keeps the government open. So that is exactly, that is the world they have created. And they fomented this kind of furor, this kind of know-nothing ideological extremism for their own benefit. And corporate America did for its own benefit. They they stand behind the curtain out of the way, but they're behind, they're still funding this party and funding this folks. Um, and so they they're reaping what they what they sow, but everyone will reap it as they blow things up. And with that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org, and of course, Facebook, Twitter. I think they call it X now. <laughs> uh, by the way, we're not barely there. Like a lot of other people, uh, the Xscape has uh, become a hellscape. Anyways, Instagram, you can also find us. But uh, for the most part, really follow us on Facebook. Folks who are listening to us here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Robert, want to talk labor? Um, is dysfunctional as our political democracy seems at times and as disheartening as it can look right now here on January 11th. Uh, the state of the labor movement is a real positive sign for democracy. And by that, I don't mean that it's in a great state, everything's wonderful. But the activity, the organizing, both within new shops, but also existing, both UAW, Teamsters, a bunch of unions, OPIU, uh, others, waging strikes, actions. And that is incredibly inspiring. And quite frankly, is right now some of the more inspirational things happening in our you know democracy. Robert, and I wanted to draw attention to We've been talking about the whole idea of independent contractors. It is something that is you and I have a deep, deep uh, history with from our union organizing background and, and how home care workers and healthcare workers across this country are misclassified as independent contractors to keep them from having basic worker care. rights. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like just basic rights, caregivers, whole field. Right. Well, Amazon is the same kind of sleazy operation. A lot of the gig companies, uh, we've talked about the big case that's in the state Supreme Court. Um, Tammy Baldwin and a number of U.S. senators came out in, uh, with a really strong letter that's really going after Amazon and their, their labor policies, and particularly the abuse of their drivers and their employee status, which is so important. It seems esoteric. It's critically, fundamentally important. Robert, tell us more about this and why this is really important. It's a sign of incredible corporate power, and this is what they will do if they're allowed to do it. We don't have a healthy democracy. Uh, there are protections if you're an employee. There is workers' compensation. There are, there are labor standards. Independent contractors were always well-paid professionals who just have a contract do something. They decide to create businesses. This is what Uber and Lyft have been as well, uh, and whole models that 
claim their contractors while violating all the rules and directing them. A contractor just that you don't direct them like an employee and putting them in incredibly unsafe conditions. And so the case against Amazon is overwhelming. It is at the state level, too, where uh, they've been getting away with violating seven. I, if I recall, there are eight criterion for being a contractor as opposed to an employee. And they and they violate seven of them. But think about this. It continues to go along. Average people, small businesses can't flaunt rules this way, hire uh, legions of lawyers and make new law. That's what they're doing. And we need it. We need a, a democracy that will hold them accountable. It's the only counterbalance. And so great job at, at both at the state level. And, and we have the most pro-labor president in the post-World War II era, probably. We just need to give him governing power and we could actually start to recreate you know, democracy for workers at the workplace, which has been, was destroyed ahead of the attempted destruction of political democracy. Again, we will continue to keep an eye on labor situations. Again, want to remind folks about the, the workers at Planned Parenthood here in Wisconsin that are organizing with the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals. Um, please go check out their stuff on, on, on online. And uh, anything you can do to support them, if you have any contacts or relations, please support the workers organizing at Planned Parenthood. Robert, 2023, it's quite a historic year. Some things good, mostly <laughs> a bit negative. And uh, in particular, it was the warmest year on record. Um. There was some, I heard, you're going to have to help fill me in because I only heard the news blurb, Robert, on NPR. But I heard that we actually started to see a decline for the first time, very small decline in the United States emissions, but nothing remotely close that would allow us to hit the goals and marks that we are desperately trying to do to avert climate genocide. And that actually also just hold a lot of gold for us economically if we would just invest in that economy. Robert, quick, uh, give us the quick deets yeah. on, on this climate data. So uh, warmest in about 100,000 years, folks, we didn't have domestic animals or, or, or organized agriculture, okay? Uh, so all the climate denial that's still out there, please, right? This is very scary. So that's the one thing. To understand that it's very clear and it's before us and it's still being ignored. You have the denial folks, but then you have the folks who say they want to do something about it and don't do what's necessary. It's sort of like, oh, I admit there's a threat from a, a takeover of, 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 of Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany, but I'm really not going to take the steps to defeat them. It is like that. And so we need to, we to hold that, though we know this, we need to hold the positive step forward that this year was the first year uh, that the United States ever had a reduction in greenhouse emissions while there was economic growth. And there was, there was good economic growth. So something is beginning to happen, but it's only about, it's less than a third of the speed of what's necessary. So we need to fully implement Everything President Biden got through in the uh, in, 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 in the end of the session where he had Democratic control, and then when he's reelected to finish the job, and that's why this election, because this makes everything so much worse. It dwarfs it. Any issue that someone thinks they prefer to think about is made 
dramatically worse by this. Think about immigration. Uh, so it is good to see that progress is possible. And it's, and quite frankly, this is not, just like I was saying earlier, that fair taxation is a winner politically, right? This is a winner economically and for average people. It just costs some very powerful people in fossil fuels, utilities, people who don't want to do it, right, who are profiting in the short term. It actually is a huge opportunity to recreate a, a high road economy with jobs, good union jobs, they're available to everyone because that deindustrialization is, when you see the devastation in cities, it's because the good jobs that average people could get went away as part of a conspiracy. And now there's a conspiracy to prevent us from doing a transition that not only is necessary to create stable human civilization and prevent mass death, among other things, it also will be a huge benefit, will make us all more prosperous and have more opportunity and make every issue we face better. Let me let me close by just saying I I have really struggled the last month or two with a number of my very progressive left friends, young people on Biden. Um, it's, it's, it's disturbing in a way that like cannot be ignored. This is the one issue. Almost none of them really understand what the inflation reduction act is, did, does, is doing. And it's importance is the only thing that I have talked about that has persuaded any of those folks to reconsider. And the fact is, a lot of folks have no idea about it. And so it's a two-step. It's not going to address all voters, but it can talk to some folks who right now, for very good reasons, are very cynical on this president, right? This is one of his major achievements and achievements in a <laughs> shitty fucked up Senate, let's be honest, right? That even that all we could get through, but yet it is historic in its importance. And it is minuscule compared to what we can and will do if we can actually win this election. So with that, Robert, what's your final comment? Um, we're rightly concerned about young voters, Gaza. They care the most about climate. We do need to have a different policy in the Middle East, but you also need to center the thing that matters most to young generation. Because all this hand-wringing among Democrats about young people turning out, then you need to make this election partly about climate. We all need to figure out how to do that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dr. Michael Rosen. We have had him on. He's our in-house economist. And he's here to tell us about something we need to be very concerned about, and that is a for-profit nursing school that's trying to come into Milwaukee and why this is such a terrible idea. Folks, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Of course, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Mostly suggest you follow us on Facebook we try to track daily everything that we think is important that's going on. Plus, it's where you can find all of our activities. We are joined by Dr. Michael Rosen. Dr. Rosen, Michael, whatever I call you, um, good to have you back. It's been too long. The last time we had you, it was all brewers all the time. Um, but we asked you to come on because you are part of a coalition and a group of folks here that are fighting this Arizona College of Nursing. Could you 
first of all, thank you. And then tell our listeners, give us uh, in a minute or so, what are the key things? Why is this Arizona College of Nursing a problem? Thanks, uh, Matt and Robert, for having me on. We've been down this road before in Milwaukee when we were flooded by for-profit colleges, what I call predatory colleges, uh, ITT Tech, Everest, Sanford Brown, Kaplan, uh, and uh, the Arizona College of Nursing is just a, a new iteration of the same. Just to give you some short facts on why it, it would be such a disaster to come into Milwaukee. It has a, these organizations target young black and Latino women, mainly uh, parents, women of color who are trying to do something to help their families, their children and themselves uh, by get, pursuing an education. Uh, they spend more on marketing than they do on education. The Arizona College of Nursing itself has a, admits that it has a 60% dropout rate. It, its students have an astounding 21% default rate on their federal student loans. Um, this is not a college. These are businesses. Most of the people who run the thing, the top executives are all MBAs. They're not educators. Uh, and they come in, they swoop into a city, they uh, manipulate people into thinking they're getting a free quality education. Students sign up, uh, find out that they get are uh, earning credits that do not transfer, uh, end up dropping out or earning degrees that don't lead to employment. Uh, and so we're trying to stop it. Uh, and this Michael, this is Michael, this is all been sued, has already been sued by 19 students in Dallas, Texas for fraud. Uh, so we know that it's it's right in line with Everest and ITT Tech and others. And Michael, this is at a time when we need we actually need qualified healthcare workers. So they're taking advantage of this situation to simply profit. Um, Michael, am I right? A lot of times when we hear the stories about student loan, you know, and people that are struggling under student loans, and the, there was a lot of discussion, right, about trying to get people's student loan forgiveness. Aren't a lot of the, these colleges a major part of some of this, this debt and, and because of this type of predatory behavior? Yeah. What they do is they tell students they, they spend, they spend so much on marketing and recruitment and they lure students in based on both the need of the industry for more nurses and students desire for self-improvement. Uh, they tell them they'll get a free education. Students general often don't know what they're signing up for. Uh, and as I said, uh, they have a default rate of 21%. Just to give you one statistic, for-profit colleges represent 10% of all college students and 50% of all the defaulters on their federal student loans. That's law. scandalous. That's yeah. scandalous. They're really institutions that are set up to game the federal financial aid system. What they realized was that there's a the federal law says that you can get up to 90% of your income from federal sources, government sources. As a result, they lure students to signing up uh, give them a Pell Grant, say, we'll give you a scholarship. And then the next thing you know, the students are told, oh, now you have to take out federal loans. And of course, since they can go up to 90 percent, 
And if they're a veteran, the other 10% can come from the VA. Uh, it all comes from government money. These executives pay themselves exorbitant fee, uh, exorbitant uh, salaries. Uh, and when the place is closed, as they do very quickly, Everest closed in a year and a half. The Art Institute in Milwaukee closed in three, three years. Uh, ITT Tech had a little bit longer run, but just the scandalous results. Uh, when they close, the executives and the stockholders walk away with huge gains and the students are left with nothing but huge debts, credits that don't transfer uh, and broken dreams, frankly, mm. and they're poorer than when they began. So the argument we're making to the city of Milwaukee is that uh, this giving a zoning change that allows them to move in to a location on the far southwest side of the city uh, would have an adverse impact on the community. And that's one of the criteria they use. And it's clear to us that with a 60% dropout rate and a 21% default rate, that it would have an adverse effect. It will make poor people, particularly single women, poorer. It will leave them poorer and it will not address the nursing shortage in this community. Robert? Thank you, Michael, for bringing attention to this. Um, I think it's important for folks to understand this is the kind of exploitive capitalism that has been running, is running roughshod, has been and is. So what happens is we have a massive amount of resources, finances in Wall Street and all sorts of financial instruments. And there are various entrepreneurs, I know you're an economist, Michael, so you'll, you'll, you can correct me anything I get wrong, who are giving pitches, where do we get the most return? And a lot of these are extraction kind of um, schemes. You might do, well, we could invest in payday lending, or we could invest in, you know, nursing education, right? And they get pitches from these people. And what they're doing is they're trying to maximize short-term profit, extract money from a bunch of people, no matter what the cost and they buy the system. So really the federal government ought to be denying them access, uh, schools like this, to student loans. I was on a major commission on student loans in the 90s and the politics were impossible in Congress. It's been bought off, okay? So this is sort of like the last resort is you still gotta get zoning. So it's sort of the city's doing the job they should do. So you got federally funded exploitation and the only people that gain right are the are the shareholders and the huge wall street investors that are they might invest oh let's invest in this pharma scheme too that we're going to monopolize this drug and charge thousand dollars a dose this is the, the these are the same folks this is not just a few bad operators this is how the system is designed to take money from people who need it and it damages healthcare too we need nurses and we leave this carnage and then you have the right funded by corporations turn around if we try to like forgive student loan debt and say that somehow people are freeloaders and aren't doing their part when we've created a system that exploits them and leaves them without, as you say, a, more, a degree that can actually pay back the loan. And none of these people give a darn about that. Did I get this right, Michael, or am I missing? Can I get absolutely. Um, absolutely. There are some state agencies that could have played a role. Uh, one is the State Board of Nursing, but the State Board of Nursing approved their application. And what's astounding to me, because I went over the application, is that 
to, to be approved, you have to have clinical sites. 19, uh, uh, 17 of the 29 clinical sites that they cite are not even in Milwaukee, in the city of, in the city of Milwaukee. And many of them are not in Milwaukee County. Uh, there are three sites in Janesville. That's 75 miles from the city of Milwaukee. That's insanity. That, I mean, knowing what we know of the students that they recruit, which are low-income students who have a, do not have access to reliable transportation, to expect them to attend clinicals in Janesville, Watertown, Oconomowoc, Pewaukee, West Bend, those are all sites that they are cited in their own application that was approved. Those sites might as well be on Mars yeah. as far as our students are concerned. Absolutely. Uh, and all of the sites. Michael, do you have an organ? Huh? Do you have an organizing analysis of what's driving the Board of Nursing, why it is so lame? There's usually, it's not usually just because of incompetence, it's usually because of some political angle. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you know anything about what no. makes them such a toothless watchdog? No, okay. I, I don't know. I think I think what happens with a lot of these agencies is people get appointed, they're good-hearted people, and they look at their mission very narrowly. So, you know, there's a bunch of boxes that any applicant has to has to check. And as long as they're checked, you know, uh, people are not really scrutinizing it very carefully. Uh, another agency of the state that could have done something is the Education Approval Board. Uh, which is is the agency responsible uh, for uh, approving for-profit organizations, any kind of for-profit uh, uh, educational institution. Uh, and they did give approval. We have, that is the coalition, both the Black Nurses, uh, the Black Nurses uh, uh, Association uh, and also Local 212 have filed uh, complaints, uh, appeals, uh, based on some of the concerns that we have, both the fact that they were not aware when they approved it that there were a, a lawsuit filed by 19 students. And uh, I'm going to amend our complaint uh, now that I know that many of these uh, uh, clinical sites are not accessible to the students. Um, but again, uh, I give Governor Evers credit. Governor Walker had gotten rid of the Educational Approval Board <laughs> At the same time, uh, the G Educational Approval Board approved this organization, and, and that's very disturbing, and that's why we filed complaints with them, uh, and those complaints are ongoing. If anybody is interested, uh, they can they could certainly contact me. Uh, my number is 414-467-8908, uh, and more citizen complaints to the Educational Approval Board would be uh, a, a valuable way to contribute to opposing the Arizona College of Nursing. That sounds great, folks. Please, if you want to help out, Michael, give that contact info out. And I assume, Michael, we also, if they live in the city, we want them to reach out uh, to the mayor's office and city council members and tell them to use the zoning procedures to make sure that this does not happen. There is a, the plan commission, the city plan commission is scheduled to hear this on the 22nd of January. It would be, we need people Perfect. to come to that meeting and to testify uh, that having this zoning change would have an adverse impact on the on the city's public welfare. Those are the terms that they use. We also have a petition that I hope that maybe Citizen Action could post on its uh, website 
I think it already has, but maybe repost it. Uh, and if people would sign that petition, as of last night, it had over 350 signatures. So uh, we're, and we're gonna present that at the plan commission as well. And yes, contact the mayor, contact your alderman. The, the location of this is in Alderman Murphy's district, by the way. Uh, and so if you happen to live in Alderman Murphy's district, I really would be valuable if you would get in contact with with uh, with me. Again, my number is 414-467-8908. Michael, we'll, we'll contact him. I didn't realize because our office is in his district. So the alderman definitely feels like he represents us as a, as a, as a, as a nonprofit, not as individual. So, as yeah, so the time, the timeline is if the timeline is there will be a hearing uh, or a meeting on the 22nd by the plan commission. And then it would go to the, uh, uh, the zoning neighborhood and development committee, which is chaired by Alderman Murphy. Uh, other members are uh, Joe Kaskis Zamaripa, uh, Bob Bauman, Russell Stamper, and Jonathan Bostroff. Now, there's a possibility that everything will be delayed because we have been in communication with the mayor's office. The mayor has asked the city attorney for an opinion on this. Uh, uh, and so if the city attorney doesn't deliver an opinion by the 22nd, I, uh, it's very likely that the item will be removed from the city planning uh, commission agenda. But right now, the key things are sign the petition, come to the meeting on the 22nd of January, and of course, contact your uh, alderman, especially if they're one of those, Michael Murphy, uh, Bob Bauman, et cetera. All right, Michael, thank you so much for coming on and educating us today and letting everybody know obviously for leading this effort. And you, you did mention this, this has been a generational fight, this whole privatization of education. We actually started the show talking about the absolute travesty that Milwaukee public schools are going to have to go to a referendum after we just had a state budget that was supposed to have addressed public education and that we gave so much money to private voucher schools. This is part of, it's different, but it's a similar fight. We cannot have a functioning democracy if we privatize our education. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Thank you. Folks, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. I want to thank Dr. Michael Rosen for not only just leading the fight with others and the other amazing groups that are part of that coalition, uh, but I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the show happen every week. Folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>